Hi there, welcome to the Edition Podcast. It's me, your host, Charlotte Henry. And this is a bit of a special show because I had such a great conversation with Chuck Joyner from Mac Voices that we went on to two episodes. It was enough to fill two shows. So the first part is this week and the second part will be out next week. So please subscribe and share so you don't miss out either part of the conversation. We start off by talking about Chuck's experience at the National Association of Broadcasters show, uh, which was back in April. But we go on to a variety of digital media topics. And I'm sure you'll agree Chuck's insight is really valuable. So I hope you enjoy this first part of the conversation. Hello and welcome to the edition podcast with me, Charlotte Henry. I, it's our weekly look at the world of digital media and everything going on there. And I'm really excited this week because it's a guest I've wanted to have on for a while and actually a subject I should have delved into earlier. But I'm very pleased that I can finally be joined by Chuck Joyner from Mac Voices. Hello, Chuck. How are you? I'm wonderful, Charlotte. It's great to uh, be with you. Yes, I'm really, really pleased to have you for the first time on the edition podcast. Um, and uh, well, look, there's loads we could talk about. We could talk about the world of Apple and all the things going on there, of which there are many in the wake of WWDC. We could talk about all sorts of things. But I want to cast your mind back two months, three months exactly, all the way back to April and talk about NAB show. I know what happens in Vegas is not meant to stay in Vegas, but I'm not going to allow it because you were there in person. After a couple of years enforced being away from it, you were you were back amongst it at the NAB show. First of all, just briefly, I asked uh, Adrian Weckler this when he came back from WWDC after having not been able to go for a couple of years. What was it like to be back at a real life event like that? Um, well, first of all, you're asking me to go back three months. I can barely remember what I had for lunch yesterday. So, but I'll do my best. Um, it's two months. Actually, it's two months, isn't it? Really? So. Yeah, you're I guess okay. so. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I'll work this out. Um, it, it was, it was interesting, Charlotte. There were, you know, there were people with masks. There were people with no masks. Um, NEB, I think, did a great job of trying to make it as safe a space as possible. And the fact that you didn't see stories come out after NEB that say, "Oh my God, you know, super spreader event," um, you know, says a lot for what they did. And, and I'm going to give them credit as opposed to you know any discussions of what. Uh, of whether the pandemic were over or not. But, you know, they had VAX requirements. Um, they did not require masks, uh, but, you know, some people opted to wear masks. There was never anything. In fact, I know most of the booths I went into, you know, I would always ask, hey, what are you comfortable with? If you want me to wear a mask, eh, no problem. It's gonna make the interview a little bit difficult, but, you know, no problem. Um, interesting choices, you know, some some companies that I've come to expect to be there were not. Mm. Um, some that, you know, were brand new were there. Um, so it's always a nice an interesting mix um, because, as you know, exhibiting at, at NAB in, or CES or anything in Vegas is not an inexpensive endeavor. And so you, I think. No, and nor is attending as a. As yes, a visitor. exactly. Exactly. So everybody had to, I think, make the, a certain cost benefit decision this year. Um, but it was certainly, a, it was a very good show. I think I ended up with 19 total interviews, wow. um, most of which were were with people that I had never met before. And I always enjoyed that. Um, but it's also good to see old friends. So it was, I, I came away with it as a very positive event. And 
Oh, look, for those that don't know, NAB show is kind of the, the premier show for people in the broadcasting industry across the board, whether you're a technical person, whether you're kind of on the editorial side, this is the place to be or and always has been. Um, now, when I asked you kind of how was it being in an event, I also meant in terms of actually, the, did you feel any benefits from actually being in, in the room where it happens? Um, you know, different, you know, you could have read about, read the press releases and heard about the new kit. Maybe some of the companies would send you some demos. You could have watched some of the presentations, I think, online. Did you feel, yeah, it was really worth me flying to Vegas and being in this place in real life? Uh, for me, yes. Yeah. But it's interesting. But, I think Adrian, if you listen back to the show about WWDC, Adrian said it felt good to be back at Apple Park as well. Yeah, I mean, it felt good, but Charlotte, so many of the, of the of the trade shows, so many of these events are what you you personally decide to make them. Um, if you decide to work them and you know really make a point of walking the floor, sh- figuratively or literally, shaking hands, connecting with people, yeah, then there's no question about it that it, it is a superior experience. Um, if you're there just sort of doing a flyby and saying, yeah, well, I came to NAB and I didn't, I saw some interesting things or I didn't see anything interesting. That's on you because you weren't paying, you know, you weren't paying attention and you weren't making the effort. So yeah. I, the, the, the last couple of years have been really interesting with the virtual events, some of which were super beneficial, some of which eh, not so much. So, you know, it, it depends on, I think, how much the, on both sides, the exhibitors, and the attendees really wanted to have the experience. If you wanted it bad, it was there. Yeah, and with something like NAB, of course, networking is as much a part of it as um, you know the the kit that you get to see and try and that kind of thing, isn't it? Sure, sure. And you know, it, it, I mean, I, I, I we're talking about the in person event, but I think you have to draw a comparison because one of the questions that has been asked is. Is there a future for in-person events? Um, and I find, I have found that I I personally did better follow-up because of an in-person event, but I also felt like there was better follow-up on the part of the folks that I interviewed. Mm. Um, maybe because they felt a, a better connection with me because we spent a little more time together as opposed to doing something in one of the virtual events. So I, I think, you know, again, it's how much do you want it to be beneficial? Yep, yep, yep. Well, given all that hard work that you put into it, let, let's break down what you found whilst you were in Las Vegas um, at, at the NAB show. It, you, you said to me off air, and it, you know, we, we shouldn't be surprised. It's kind of the premise of this show, if nothing. The, the direction of travel, all the companies you were speaking to, the vendors, whatever, they were concerned about the world of streaming. And they should Absolutely. be, right? Absolutely. You'd, be, you'd have been slightly worried if that's not what they were talking about. Absolutely. Every, because now, I mean, at a very low level, any of us can stream. All we have to do is get a YouTube account, hit that stream button and boom, you know, now the the production. Yeah. Now the production values aren't there and probably we aren't, we aren't properly equipped to compete with the large streaming services or the, the, uh, the networks, but we still have a voice. And that's creating a lot of interesting challenges and problems for everyone because there's so much clamor for attention. And so, and, and everybody, 
I mean, the, the world of influencers. Influencers was a word that we didn't have five years ago. And now they're making six and seven figure salaries. How, I'm pleased you mentioned this, because how seriously did you think the people you spoke to were taking that, as you rightly point out, hugely, you know, we're recording this and VidCon is going on where influencers of all over the world, you know, TikTok, YouTube creators from around the world are, are meeting and hearing and creating content together. How seriously were the people who, let's be blunt about it, in a lot of cases come from the more traditional end of the broadcast industry at NEB? How did you feel they were responding to this brave new world, which isn't actually that new anymore? You know, people have been creating highly viewed and increasingly high quality content on your YouTube for a very long time now, in relative terms. In, in I, internet I, years. Yeah, <laughs> in internet years, uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I think that they're having to pay attention. I'm not sure they like it. I'm not sure that they don't see themselves as the big boys in the room and all oh, you kids go, you go and play with your toys. Um, but the simple fact of the matter is that what used to be a really small audience for a broadcast TV show now is a really big audience for a broadcast TV show. Um, you know, and the, the days are gone when a particular broadcast TV program, and I'm going to leave streaming or excuse me i'm going to leave sports and those kind of live events out of it but you know to, to cycle back i mean if i remember correctly at least at one time the final episode of the tv show mash here in the states was the most watched uh program that night with an, a ridiculous number of, of didn't seinfeld beat it in the finale of seinfeld and maybe even then friends beat it could be i i don't i mean i don't know but um, you know that those those were events on on broadcast. <clears throat> you don't see that kind of thing anymore. So I think everybody's having to recognize that the pie is being sliced up in a whole lot of different ways and in a whole lot smaller pieces. And everyone's trying to figure out how to grow their piece, or if they can't grow it, at least monetize it uh, in a in a better fashion. So. I'm having a look around the internet while you're talking, and I think the final episode of Seinfeld got 76 million viewers. Okay. From what from so, the sources I can see, right. which is enormous. It is. It is absolutely enormous. Um, but you know it. Uh, I, and I'm not going to, we're not going to look it up here on the show unless you are going to, but you know, what does the average TV show broadcast TV show now, what kind of viewership? Do oh, they it get? will be, you know, I suspect most, if I guess it, you know, it depends where you are in the UK. I think, you know, US or UK will be different, but you're in the, you know, I think in the UK, you're going nowhere near 10 million, you know, two, no. three, you know, no. um, so particularly for scripted stuff i mean it'll obviously be slightly different for live sports events and things like that as you rightly said but um yeah this is a you know it's it's a huge adaption the industry has had to uh over you know get through and is still coming to terms with i think in many ways if you talk to people and um i was interesting in terms of because nab also of course is known for kind of very high-end equipment and software offerings that you know big production houses and companies can get their hands on. Whereas actually the the whole thing for YouTubers and creators is you don't need very much very expensive kit. You can get 
a decent camera, which doesn't cost the world, a decent mic, which doesn't cost the world. And essentially you're away. Now we've seen lots of people, you know, some people right at the top end build more elaborate studios and setups and so on. But to get going, you don't really need that much, do you? The barrier of entry is pretty low. I mean, most of the cameras on the later iPhones will do you pretty well. Will serve sure. you pretty so did you notice in terms of the kind of products being offered, it was reflecting this, you know, the new move towards streamers and people wanting more affordable pieces of equipment that are not going to be funded by a much bigger media company? Oh, absolutely. I mean, That's even even pre-pandemic, we were seeing that that there are more more microphones and more cameras uh, and and different pieces of hardware that are targeted toward the the lower end of production. Um, I mean, it almost feels like it almost feels like the the still the still cam or the still camera. The I guess photography. You know, there is still a market for the very 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 high end cameras out there. Uh, but there's really not a market for the low end anymore. You know, the point and shoots. Phone. Yeah, you got your phone, and your phone is vastly superior to the majority of point and shoots we had even you know five, six, seven years ago. Yep. So, you know, there that part of the market has dried up. Here, there really never was a low end to the market. And and let's be fair, you know, you, yeah, you can buy a, a, a you can buy a decent microphone for maybe fifty bucks. But if you're going to do this for any length of time, you probably want to spend something closer to the neighborhood of two or three hundred dollars, or better, depending on just you know how much gear lust you have, which we all suffer from. Um, I the, mean, the cameras. Listeners won't be able to see your background, but the, the background and your setup will, will uh, rather endorse your uh, view that some of some of us suffer from gear lust. Every one of those things gets used, Charlotte. Of course um, it does, Chuck. That's my story and I'm sticking to yep, it. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't question it. I wouldn't dare question it. Um, but no, you know, it's the cameras and, you know, now we're getting into video switchers because uh, now people have, they can afford multiple cameras, mm. even if they're just inexpensive GoPros. So, you know, maybe you want a shot of me from the left, a shot from the right, a shot, you know, straight down from the front, a shot from behind so you can see maybe that I'm talking to you on screen. You know, these these are all things, they're all toys. Um, I what what to me strikes me, Joe, is more important is just the content. You know, the mm -hmm. content is 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 king. And so if you have a good compelling story to tell, if you need special effects or uh, other things, all the toys to tell it, then yeah, you need to invest in those. But if you don't, if you're just telling a story, then you can probably do it relatively inexpensively. So I, I want to drill down to this a bit. So when you're going to these trade shows and you know so on, are you seeing representatives from vendors there explicitly now talking about the creator economy and the mark and the products that those people need as opposed to a big TV studio? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're, they're, and they're tailoring products specifically for those people. Yes, and no, no question about it. I mean, that may not be their only market, sure, but they are definitely, you know, including that market now as part of what uh, what's out there. Um, oh boy, I mean, I, I'm I'm afraid to call out anyone because I don't want to show any preferences. But there were definitely products, and you can go back and watch some of my coverage. That sounds like a, a blatant uh, 
No, I'm good. Um, the link is already in the show notes. Okay, yeah, go, go back and and look at some of the people I talked to, um, because I tend, you know, look, it's it's always fascinating to talk to people about, you know, the big stuff, but I don't believe my audience, uh, other than maybe just certain areas of general interest, cares. They care more about something they might really use, and so that's what I'm usually scouring the show floor for, um, is something that you know doesn't cost ten thousand dollars, but might cost okay five hundred, a thousand dollars. You can justify that um, either through gear lust or just if you're really serious about wanting to do this, uh, and and it lets you do something you want to do. So I, the creator, the creator economy, the creator gear economy is absolutely here to stay until something suddenly prohibits any of us from doing it. Because, uh, yeah. you, Charlotte, you know what? It's not, uh, let me take this just for a second. It's not a lot different than the podcasts. No. You know, podcasts, I mean, now we have streaming setups, but before we had podcast setups, and now, you know, we're seeing a lot more cameras, better cameras than just what you can get in your typical Mac or PC uh, out there that are that are affordable. So it's been around for a while. It just seems to be growing and streaming has, I'm not sure the word legitimize is accurate, but maybe popularize is, do, is the way it goes. Do you think the broadcast industry, let, let's stick with TV and streaming for now, but and I want to dig into the podcasting in a bit. Um, do you think the kind of world of TV streaming and broadcasters are maybe realizing they're having to play a bit of catch up because, you know, they suddenly found there was a whole load of people that they hadn't really taken seriously who now want decent quality products and viewers who expect decent production values. You know, they don't expect, you know, maybe they actually, I was going to say people don't expect to stream on YouTube or a video edited on YouTube to look like a network television show, but actually increasingly it's not, you know, it's the kind of tone of those shows that feels different as opposed to the production quality in lots of ways. And uh, do you think that industry, my real question is, do you think the industry realizes they were a bit behind on cash, cashing in, helping, supporting that economy, whichever way you want to phrase it? Um, no, I'm not sure they've, they've figured that out because they still feel like they're the big guy in the room. Mm. And, and, to be fair about it, that's something that most creators emulate. Um, you know, if you do a talk show like you and I do, um, you know, we want to sort of look maybe like a little bit of a talk show that you would see on TV or a news show you might see on TV. Um, if you are do, covering live sports as part of your streaming, uh, then you want to look a little bit like the sports segments on the evening news. So I, I think, you know, they were there first. and. They did. There, there are a lot of things they probably you could argue that they didn't do right, but they were what we all grew up with and are used to seeing as a model. And so yeah, now, it'll, it'll be interesting in the, if that flips and like the generation of people who are going into the media, having grown up on watching YouTube as opposed to you know fixed linear television, it will be interesting to see how they kind of respond to things. But yeah, and do things in the future. I'm not sure we're not already seeing that with TikTok. Yep, very good point. You know, TikTok, TikTok. Listen, I, I am not a TikTok person, so I've I've seen very few. But TikTok videos look nothing like YouTube videos for the most well, part. You, and, YouTube is having to adapt. It's adapting with its YouTube Shorts. You know, vertical yeah. videos, shorter. 
as the name implies, and it's having to adapt to TikTok as much as then, you know, in the way people sort of YouTube had to adapt to TV and vice versa. Yeah. So yeah, I, each each successive generation is moving farther from that model. But you know, the 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 vast majority of folks have that model as their their baseline and they're I think pretty comfortable with it. Yeah. Um I'm really fascinated that the kind of the industry that's making the equipment. I understand if you're running a television studio or a big media company, you want to still pretend that the YouTubers are still silly little kids in their parents' bedrooms or whatever, parents' basements. But I'm amazed that the people who are making the kit are still not seeing the market opportunity or not seeing it to the extent that perhaps they should be. And that actually a $500 piece of equipment might be sold a lot more than the kind of $5,000 piece of dollar piece of equipment that, you know, a television studio needs, for instance. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think it's, it's coming all around because again, people now are the, the, the manufacturers are creating and, and marketing things for, people that want to do those things because now more people want to do those things. Mm. I, I mean, look at the price of drones. Yes. Know, the price of drones has gone down. The, the quality of drone footage has gone up. The ease of drone operation has improved greatly. Um, and so th- that that's an industry that figured it out very quickly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but that was also, there was a crossover between the, 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 the amateur and the professional use cases crossed over quite quickly, didn't they? People thought it was fun to fly drones as well as people seeing the kind of commercial and abilities that drones could have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it, it didn't take long for you know people that inspect roofs for a living to decide, hey, it's a lot safer to send up a drone than to, you know, keep sending up people up ladders that can slip and fall and, you know, maybe the gutter cracks out from under them and they fall. So, um, not to mention just the 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 time it takes to set up a ladder and go up as opposed to you know throw the drone up in the air it goes up shoots some 4k video and comes back down and you can move on to the next one and even maybe send that footage back to the office for somebody else to review it while mm-hmm. I'm going on and and getting video of three more roofs so look, you and I are both lovers of podcasts both as listeners and makers of podcasts what what was there? For us, what trends did you notice for the way the world of podcasting was going to go from the kind of industry side of things? You know, yes, you can go on Amazon or whatever and buy a decent mic and plug it in and away you go. But people are expecting high quality from podcasts now. Um, people who are making podcasts are happy to spend a bit of money to make them sound higher quality. What kind of things were on offer in the audio space, in the podcasting space? Um, if you're asking about NAB and the products, um, again, you know, microphones, field recorders, um, you know, camera rigs of one kind or another, uh, you know, those are all things on the lower end that are there and very available. And you but can you, spend but as- used to be, you, you're saying uh, very available now, but that never used to be the case. No, it's, I mean, it's, it's been improving and getting better. Again, I think two things as podcasting it's hard to differentiate between between podcasting and streaming at this point yeah. um because i think they're both you know in the same bed but you know the, the technology is getting better 
And the fact that there's more demand out there, uh, the vendors are recognizing it. And so they're producing products for it. And that helps hold prices down because if you were in the past, if you were the only guy with a, uh, with a, a 4k uh, camera, well, you were the only one that, you know, podcasters or vidcasters or streamers would buy. Now there, there are 40 of those cameras, you know, depending on exactly what you want to do with it and how much money you have to spend, uh, you know, it, it's there. So I think that uh, there's no, I mean, there's no barrier to entry now other than dollars. And even the dollars are not that much of a barrier to entry right now to get, actually just get started and find out if it's something you intend to pursue for a period of time. Uh, and again, you're seeing that reflection on the sh the show floor. Are you, you know, you, you describe the kind of lower cam, you know, lower cost cameras, but in terms of microphones and stuff like that, and even the rigs for people going out and about, again, that that's being reflected, is it? Oh, sure. Um, uh, two things. Two. Okay, I will call these two out because they're two high quality products. Um, um, Rode and sure. DJI both have brought out some very very nice uh, wireless live systems that can be used in the field very easily um and you know i've i've gotten to test one of those out i'm, I'm looking forward to trying to test the other one out explain but, that kind of system for uh yeah listeners i'm sorry yeah yeah you're absolutely right no it's just a wireless microphone system um that is a lavalier so it's one of the little clip microphones yep. that would go right maybe on your lapel or just below so if i walked up to charlotte in a booth and said hey i'd like to do an interview with you well, you've got all this craziness going on around you. So you want that mic up against both of our of our mouths as, as much as possible. Um, so I, I walk over and I clip Charlotte's on hers. I'm wearing mine. I hit the button and go. And now yeah. we're recording. And again, it's the type of thing we were used to seeing in, you know, I've done live TV in studios and, you know, a nice salmon comes and passes you the type of microphone you're describing that goes on your lapel and, you know, there you go because it's right next to you. Um, but, again, for that to be available to kind of non I don't want to say non-professional, but to the, the world of podcasting and streaming, really is, it's been around for a while, but it's, it's a good indication of how available this kind of equipment is for people wanting to start out. And the, the both the price and the quality have gotten better, right? Because you know a wireless lav system before might cost you in the neighborhood of you know a thousand dollars. Now well, you can have a pretty good one for sub five hundred, easy. Which makes the decision about whether to start off and do one a very different calculation. Exactly, exactly. A thousand dollars is a relatively high barrier to entry, whereas you know if you're halving that. It's a lot yeah. more compelling for people. Right. And and you, you are getting better quality for it so that you know you're going to, you have, in theory, you're able to compete more with everyone else out there who is trying to create these, these uh, programs. That's the first part of my conversation with Chuck Joyner from Mac Voices. The second part will be live next week. So make sure you're subscribed on Substack and in your favorite podcast app to make sure you don't miss it. <laughs>